What's up, everybody? It's Mike from Phil Kraus Survival. Hey, just want to let you guys know this is a sponsored podcast sponsored by Boss Strongbox. If you guys are into everyday mobility and preparedness and follow the company, you'll know that we're big on your go rig and how you set that up. It's an extension of your rucksack. You only have so much capacity and capability based on what you carry and your training that you have on what you carry. Well, if you look at your rig as an extension of your rucksack and capability, it's there to fill the med, fill the survival, um, fill the recovery, and facilitate your preparedness in the worst case scenario. You know, when shit hits the fan, you want to be able to roll out and mobile in your vehicle is more than likely how that's going to be affected or happen. So I just want to let you know that, you know, Boss Strongbox is a strategic partner of Fieldcraft Survival. If you use Fieldcraft, one word, you could say 25% off. It's a huge discount. They make American-made 16-gauge steel, you know, three-point latching systems, high-security locks. You know, they have top load and drawer systems with myriads of options, different applications, different vehicle platforms, and they're trusted by federal and local law enforcement agencies. Uh, if you are interested, Boss Strongbox does come with a lifetime uh, limited guarantee, and they are a strategic partner, and we're working actually on some new uh, concepts for overlanding and app and applications that apply to your preparedness. Uh, one of the deficiencies that I've discovered in these drawer systems is they're heavy, they're cumbersome, they're super expensive. So we're going to design, and based on your feedback, we're going to come up with the best solution. If you're interested, email me at info at philcraftsurvival.com. That's I-N-F-O at philcraftsurvival.com. And please leave me your feedback. Again, use Philcraft to save 25% at bossstrongbox.com. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee Company, BRC. I just did a great podcast with the Launch Code Podcast with Evan Hafer, who is the CEO of Black Rifle Coffee. And, you know, me and Evan go, go way back. We've been friends for a long time. And before he was uh, the CEO of Black Rifle Coffee, he was just a guy named Evan uh, with a, a great background, a really intelligent dude. We had the chance to catch up on business strategies, on evolving a business, some challenges that we face. And please give that a listen. But also check out Black Rifle Coffee. It's the coffee that Phil Kraft Survival uses. We actually use their new um, instant coffee, uh, black powder, which is amazing for camping, overlanding, and everything in between. The whole stay alert, stay alive uh, is significant when it comes to your uh, caffeine intake and what you drink on the road. And I'm a big coffee proponent, and especially when it comes to Black Rifle Coffee. Also, hey, you guys are listening to the Tim Foley podcast. This podcast was was uh, audio recorded on the border of Mexico on our border run. If you guys are interested in this topic and conversation, we have a, a YouTube video, we have this podcast, and we continue uh, to educate you anytime that we get information uh, that that is relevant to the topic. There's a lot of left, a lot of right, but overall, uh, this discussion is an important one for national security, for preparedness, and for survival. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and uh, look forward to talking about this topic a lot more in the near future. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, welcome back to the uh, Phil Kraus Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today I'm in a, uh, a, a room full of dudes. <laughs> um, today is a unique opportunity uh, for Phil Kraft, but also for myself and the crew. We're on our overland trip. Um, 
starting out in Prescott, Arizona, uh, headed to Phoenix, met up with Surgeon Rifles, then to Tucson, and cut southwest, headed to Tim Foley's. And right now I'm sitting in uh, Tim Foley's house. If you guys don't know who Tim is, uh, we did a podcast prior, me and Kurt did, with Tim. He's been made infamous, depends on your perspective of the current situation, but he's been made infamous by a documentary that's an award-winning documentary called Cartel Land um, of his of a depiction of Tim on the border with um, his element that's protecting uh, all the traffic that's coming from Mexico into the United States. Uh, been doing that for the last nine years now. Heading into ninth year. Ninth year. And uh, so I'm joined by Tim, uh, George uh, from Team Philcraft, as well as Travis from Team Philcraft. Uh, thanks for everybody for being on the podcast this morning. Yeah. Uh, Tim, you know, the last time we talked, uh, we changed a lot of people's perspective because I think even in myself, when you see something like Cartel Land, uh, you know, media skews your perspective of reality. Yeah. And when we saw you, I'm like, oh, this is interesting because, you know, this guy is out here doing something that nobody else is doing. He's patrolling the border. You know, he's got his guns, he's got his team, and, and he, they're doing their thing. And it was it was a little bit more extreme, uh, our perspective. And then we got here, and it was well-organized. It was, uh, you weren't a vigilante, you weren't a cowboy. It was very methodical, and your guys weren't getting in gunfights. You guys were reporting information and then relaying it for um, protecting our borders. Yeah. So... Since the, since the last time we talked, I think a lot of perspectives have been changed, and you know I wanted to meet up with you and get an update because things have shifted. The administration has shifted, the uh, current political situation, and now you know seasonally for us uh, the, the traffic has increased, but for you it's remained the same. And so what I wanted to do in this podcast is one, you know, tell people about your your mission. Um, and also talk about the current situation, and then we'll get a little bit later into the uh, the 501c3 started. Okay. So what's the, you know, for people who don't know you, tell give us a background on the Arizona Border Recon uh, element that you started, how you got started, and then where you're at today. Arizona Border Recon was started in uh, 2010, and uh, it basically came out of the 08 crash. Uh, because I was in construction and uh, media and government at that time was telling us, you know, don't worry, they're just coming and doing jobs that Americans won't do. But I was running a 150-man crew building high-rise up in Phoenix and 75% uh, couldn't speak English. So after the uh, crash, uh, I sold everything and said I need to come down to see if the... Uh, Second thing they were telling us, which was, don't worry, it's safe and secure. And when I came down here and saw what they considered safe and secure, I said, you've got to be kidding me. And uh, so I sold everything, moved down, well, moved down basically the first two months I lived in my truck. And uh, I go out in the daytime, start hitting trails, finding the trails, GPSing them, and then go back and locked myself in the truck basically because I was only one man and then uh, I found a place that I could rent over in a little town called Sassabee and we were there for oh 
five and a half years, and then uh, we started stopping too much meth, so the cartel told the town owner to get us out of there. So now this is where we've moved to, and we uh, used pretty much the last of my wad to buy this piece of land so nobody could ever tell us to leave again. And uh, it's actually uh, a lot more active over here. So, um, and we've seen that what's coming is changing, and uh, it's becoming more violent. Uh, back uh, four months ago, about three miles east of here, uh, 4.30 in the morning, a uh, Border Patrol agent was shot four times. Uh, my cameras are picking up uh, more and more cartels with uh, AK-47s in the United States and right along the border. Uh, we're not seeing the marijuana anymore. I haven't seen the big burlap bundles of 20 kilos in over a year. But we're seeing what now is they're running camouflage packs. They're trying to blend in with the regular illegals coming through. But these packs and the groups that are carrying them, there's still the same amount of guys. And that's how one way you can tell the dope meals coming through because they'll travel in even numbers and it's anywhere from 8 to 12. Whereas when they get a group coming through, I showed you some videos, they're anywhere from 18 to 24 plus. Uh, and they're running scouts front and back. So now we know they're still running the dope and we're not seeing the easy sign of the burlap sacks, but now they're bringing across meth, heroin, fentanyl, uh, stuff that's worth tens of thousands more than $500 a pound Mexican dirt weed. Uh, uh, the border, you educated us yesterday on the border situation where it's like uh, it's like 300 plus miles yeah. of Arizona um, real estate. And what's interesting is Tim, last night, which is going to be featured on our video, our Overland video on the border run, um, it's interesting because, you know, we all have perspectives. We all have opinions based on the perspective that we get from media, from just hearing information, but it, a lot of it doesn't become real until you actually see it. Yeah. And so Tim pulled up video, which you know we're going to highlight, of of literally dudes with AK-47s, dudes with bundles of drugs coming across the border, and this isn't like um, once in a blue moon. This is frequent, right? It's twenty-four-seven. And it's not even just AKs and ARs. I mean, they have variable optics on these guns that, you know, you haven't seen before. Right? Yeah, what's, what's interesting, well, I've never seen that before. Which well, is we're watching them, they're evolving. Yeah. And we, being out here so long and with the cameras and everything, we can watch that evolution of them morphing. And uh, in the beginning, they were all running tennis shoes. And then they switched up and they're running carpet shoes to hide their tracks, mm -hmm. their anti-tracking, basically. But now what we're seeing is a lot of the uh, mules and uh, scouts and shit, they're running the exact same boots we are. They're coming up, they have people in the United States who go to the military surplus store and buy every freaking uh, warm weather boot they have. And so now you don't know sometimes if you're tracking Border Patrol or if you're tracking dope mules or who the hell you're tracking. So instead of trying to hide, they're going, screw it, we're going to blend in. What's the guy, tell us about the situation with the guy that was smuggled across because 
it's not like people think, um, you know, a lot of America pay attention to human smuggling because it's a significant issue for sex trade, the sex trade, and it's a people pay attention to that. But people pay less attention to bad people who are crossing the border or drugs that are crossing the border. And I think this is the first time I've ever, ever heard of it. I've always heard, like, I maybe read an article where they said, hey, they're smuggling bad people across the border. And a lot of people don't under, even understand what that means. So can you talk about that situation with the uh, the potentially Middle Eastern descent guy being escorted? Yeah. Uh, I had two cameras in the area at that time. And that's, that's what 85% of Arizona looked like. Uh, Just put it in perspective, Tim's showing us a, a picture of like a porous gate. It's basically a, a ranch gate, which is, I mean, literally, you could step across it. Yeah. You just... That, that we consider that our two-layer barrier. <laughs> because we have the four-strand barbed wire, and then this is what is known as the Normandy. And it's four freaking feet high, and it's a barbed wire fence, so you just separate the wires and go through it. But with the uh, what we're seeing is, in this certain area, is I had two cameras down in there and uh, placed about 20 yards apart. So the first camera showed uh, uh, a set of scouts going through, which is nothing normal, I mean out of the normal. But then I saw another set, then another set, then another set. So in two days I had four sets of scouts going through and I already know that there's only one scout mountain right there. So why is there an extra three sets coming through right at this area? So then I started looking at the other camera, and that's when I saw, and they came in two days later, were the uh, armed guys you saw, all packing chest rigs with uh, eight 30-round mags, and the one dude, he had a 90-round mag on his rifle. Ninety round. He had a 90-round magpul um, magazine in his gun with a variable optic, and it looked like a, a gun you would see a SWAT cop running. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's not... I mean, it's not third world weaponry. No, no. But uh, the rest had AKs, and uh, then you had uh, only two guys that weren't. Uh, there was four armed guys, but two of them didn't have camouflage on. One was in those city clothes, but he had a badge on his belt. So we don't know if that guy was either. It's one of two scenarios for that guy. Either he was a local Mexican law enforcement, or. Also, the Sicarios, which is their killers, their assassins, uh, it's one of their ways to prove their badge of honor is that when they shoot a cop down in Mexico, they take his badge and wear it. And there was only one guy who was in a green tracksuit and wearing a brand new pair of Nike shocks where everybody else is wearing boots. And <coughs> But... Uh, his look, he didn't look anything like anybody else. Uh, he had a nice, long, well-trimmed, rounded beard that you saw. Yeah. And uh, they were there for about 45 minutes in that area, in broad daylight. It was noon, because you saw them. They even got burritos out of their saddlebags. And, mm -hmm. But uh, as we watched, we could see everybody leave, except for Mr. Guy in the green tracksuit. Now, that makes him basically a high-value target because uh, nobody can afford, at least your regular run-of-the-mill, I just want a job out of Home Depot day laborer. It's not going to pay for 
four sets of scouts to go through two days prior and then have four armed uh, cartel bringing you to the border to get across. I think you made an interesting point, broad daylight. I think a lot of people think that, the, that this stuff happens in the dark of night or early mornings, but the truth of the matter is it doesn't. No. It happens literally early, or early afternoon, middle afternoon, yeah. and late afternoon. It's, they'll run at night sometimes when it's a full moon. But uh, if there's no moon, you, we won't even do it. It's too steep, it's too rugged, it's too rocky. You'll bust an ankle, you'll bust a leg, you'll walk off a cliff. I mean, you can't see two feet in front of your face down there when there's no moon. And uh, so it's it's brutal, and yeah, everybody thinks that both are coming at night. But they also found even with the full moon, they're not running as much as night because they now realize that Border Patrol has thermal, mm. and it's easier to pick them up at night as they're yeah. moving. So they lay low and tuck underneath a big group of trees where everything's throwing off a heat signature, and you can tuck and hide. So. Well, I think one of the biggest misconceptions, especially in the media today and people who are outside or away from the border, is that, you know, you constantly see on the news that it's women and young children, is they're looking for a better life, you know, all of that. And granted, there may be some. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but the, the reality is the people who are co coming across, especially through your trail cameras in this particular area, I mean, is there, a, is there a, an amount of women and children or is it primarily male middle age, you know, what, what are you seeing? 85% uh, of what we're seeing is dope okay. and bad guys. 15% okay. uh, is uh, human. Let me grab this because I think you guys should see this. This is... This is the guy with the 90 round mag as he gets off his horse right there. He's El Jefe. Speed it up a little. Here comes another one. Tuck down in there. Oh, See, the there's suit. there's the guy with the green yeah. tracksuit. Here's the other guy without the... Oh, yeah, he's not camoed up. Right, everybody else is. And they're not even talking to him. They're just kind of like communicating amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. And then he, it's like he doesn't speak the same language because he's not... Now, look at him, dude. Look, yeah. look at that gentleman Tavir. right there. And then also look at right there. Oh, yeah. So, see how he's looking at the camera? Does he see it? No. Well, he's looking at that. They uh, should all see it, but... They don't even dude, pay attention. If you don't know where I put it, yeah. you're never going to find it. I mean, wow. I've even walked by him before and gone, son of a bitch, somebody stole my camera. <laughs> I mean, so there's, there's... I mean, when I think about <laughs> national security in a porous border... Um, and then you have literal information and video and intelligence that you've gathered of people crossing the border being escorted and drugs being smuggled across. What do you do with that information? How does it work? Do you take that information? Do you pass it to Border Patrol? What, what, is, what does it uh, look like? Uh, we try to give it to the higher-ups in Border Patrol, but uh, they don't want anything to do with us. You know, because, uh, you know, we're highly trained federal agents, uh, blah, 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 blah. And I think what their thought process is, is that, uh, you know, 
screw you, we don't want to deal with you because you're bringing media in and going against what we're saying is happening. Yeah, contradicting their right. message. And so yeah. you're affecting their year-end bonus and that step up the GS pay grade ladder. But the line guys like the, you. The line, the line guys, guys have, love us. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we get just so you guys know, we get messaged all the time um, from unnamed uh, border patrol agents who the last time we did this podcast, who emailed us and who called us and told us that everything that Tim was saying, they had a little bit of beef with some of the numbers of the uh, the task organization. But that's in my mind irrelevant when you when it comes to the messaging, which is there's a significant issue on the border. There's a porous border. And nobody's doing anything about it. Right. And so you have, you know, you know, people who don't know this. I mean, you're sitting in a room full of veterans. Travis is an infantry veteran. Um, literally, George is hasn't even retired yet as an E8. I was a sergeant major in special forces, and Tim was actually a combat engineer, an airborne combat engineer. And I, I just tell you that because the mindset is, we're not just out here winging it. There's a deliberate um, understanding. There's collection of information and data with a deliberate objective. And so the, the problem herein lies uh, in this situation is the fact that we have all this information, all this intel, and it's beyond even what I could get into because there's so much detail to this, but there's nobody to hand it off to. So when, you, when it comes down to like the finish, you got find, fix, and finish. We, we found the bad guys. We fixed them. I'm literally looking at geolocations of waypoints on, on Google imagery, but nobody's finishing it. Nobody's rolling these guys up. So um, wow. if, if any dogs. government official, I mean, I plan to give this to administration, uh, people in the administration, and just push this because it's like, it's scary to realize that, you know, the second largest uh, or significant kidnappings in the world is Phoenix, Arizona, behind Mexico City. Drugs are inundating this entire state and the, the country, uh, and they're getting harder. Um, and then the cartel is doing a lot of damage to our country, which it has been doing for the last 30 years, but we're doing nothing about it. I mean, we have all this information, but nobody's willing to take it. Well, my, my biggest problem is, look, we, we can go halfway around the planet to some fucking sandbox and call that an international interest, yet right next door we have basically an insurgency going on. And these guys are heavily armed. They don't even give a shit about their own people. And they're bringing shit over here that's killing... I think last year there was 70,000 overdoses. Deaths. From fentanyl and heroin. And last year, Mexico, their opium production went up 1,500 acres. They're now... Uh, at 75,000 acres of opium being grown in Mexico, which puts them as the number three producer of opium in the planet. But people don't know that because most people are just listening to the box on the wall and they're believing what they're being told. And that was part of why we were doing this. One, to hurt the cartel's pocketbook because they're scumbags. Look, they, look at the hundreds of thousands of people they've killed on their own down there. And... Uh, the other part of it was to get as much attention down here to say, look, this is actually what's going on. You're being lied to. Like, that's why I got here was because I was being lied to, you know. And so the people need to know what's actually going on. Why, why do you think, because we talk about negative press and we're sitting here 
you know me you know me and the guys we we actually we actually settled down the road and uh, rested overnight we had a little base camp and I had an unsettling feeling I mean I literally felt like I was on an overland movement in Afghanistan where yeah. I knew that I almost said hey we need to put a fire guard up to pull security for the camp because it's just unsettling down here and you live that yeah. and you get these these media reporters like I read that disgusting article by that German yeah. dude complete fiction yeah. fictionalizing everything that's happening characterizing and it as the fiction. fiction is in the worst light possible 100% what i mean why is there some kind of like do people want to look at you and go hey you're a cowboy you're a vigilante the the open border people do yeah the left media i mean uh, but i mean we get a lot of good press and but the good press we get it's all out of japan and uh, europe American media is pretty much silent on the issue. I mean, in the four-plus years I've been doing media, uh, I think we I can count them on one hand how many American media has come out. Wow. It always feels like what you're reporting, they don't want that. Like the Well... They don't want to hear. They want, what's good for business is not knowing what's going yeah. on. Well, it's know? like if we don't report it, it's not happening. Yep. So pay no attention. And it doesn't skew the numbers that you were talking about yeah. right. people are setting. And it, either way, like we discussed last night, is the numbers can be high and the numbers can be low, but how they it portray those works. numbers, it still right. works. Right. Um, so what we're, what we're looking at right now is, is recon points for uh, the cartel and the, the people that get these people across. Uh, if you want to see this, we have it on our video, so you guys just head over to YouTube. Our YouTube channel should be uh, coming out relatively soon after this podcast. And you will see, and it'll blow your mind, where these recon points are. And then there's also, which I'm sure Tim is going to go into here soon, uh, is the, the water points. And what I mean by water points is we have American citizens who are humanitarians going down and leaving jugs of water. And then when you see this map put together in terms of where these recon points are, where these water points are, uh, and even where the border, old Border Patrol towers used to be, uh, they're all in conjunction with each other. Um, and someone's turning a blind eye, and these, re these guys are not stupid when they're setting up these recon points. It's right next to water locations. Yeah. And then even with the Border Patrol stuff, you'll see how close some of these towers are, which are unmanned, uh, in relation to these trails that... A lot of drugs... Well, there was one trail, 1.5 million... Well, and that's drugs. when they were carrying 500... Dollar a pound shit weed. Yep. But now they've switched to meth heroin, and so that those numbers are when I was watching just regular pot go through. What was impactful to me is when you saw the humanitarians, right? So, and it, we'll paint the picture for you. I think what would be cool is if we stitched together like a one minute of the the timing that Tim showed us yesterday of the humanitarians coming in. We'll stitch it into and, this video. And then they they literally come in and then they set the water down and they're like. You know, you, you see them and you wanna you wanna be empathetic to them because they they're providing a a what they think is a humanitarian aid to afflicted victims. But then they drop the water, and then an hour later, you see guys with AK forty sevens and drug packs walking in and getting resupplied off the humanitarian drop that just took place. It's like you're not resupplying women and children. In fact, most of the footage that you showed us last night. Was all males? There was one female, one female, one drug female running. that was drug running, and then you see all these people coming through, and they're and they're being facilitated by Americans who have a, a bleeding heart. Yeah, but they won't do shit for homeless people in this country. Absolutely, it's so, it's mind-boggling. You know, and 
They spin everything. I mean, we've run into them on the trail. We're going up, they're coming down after they've already dropped, and it's like there was two ladies. One even took her vacation, came from Australia to help. So now, even though her country's all screwed up, she's going to come over here and help screw up this yeah. country. And that's not a crime to facilitate literally terrorists and drug dealers Bro. or or drug smugglers because they call it humanitarian, they call it humanitarian aid, aid and you're saving somebody's life. But we were going up the trail, we ran into them, they're going, oh my God, it's you guys. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, we're doing our thing, you do your thing. We, You have every right in the world to do this because it's America. And she goes, you're the ones that kill women and children. I looked at them and I was going, well, if that's the case, you have about 30 seconds to live. And we just started laughing and kept walking past them. It's like, Can't you believe lunatics. It. lunatics. Well, you're, you're and, and a lot of people, you know, obviously with this negative press that, you know, People are thinking you're running around with, uh, you know, sniper red dots, rifles. sniper rifles, and you're taking no. people out. But the truth is, you're regulated in terms of what you can carry. Yep. And on top of it, you are not allowed to even draw unless there is a physical threat. So, right. what, what are one? Let's. What are you regulated on, and what your guys, you and your guys, can carry? And two, what is, uh, when is the time where it, it means something where you are going to have to draw on someone? What what gets you to that point? Uh. Our regulate what our rules of engagement and standard operating procedures. Uh, we don't run magnified optics. Uh, we don't run flashlights on the weapons. Uh, we can't run red dots. Magnification is if something happens, then you saw them off at a distance. You had plenty of time to get the hell out of there, so they would uh, get you for premeditated. So you're running iron sights. So we Slickers. run iron sights. Yep. Can't run red dots or anything like that because it's a faster target acquisitioning device. Uh, flashlights, because at nighttime, if you turn your light on, you You're just searching. pointed a weapon at somebody. Yep. Mm. So we, it's tough to do, but we do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only time that you can raise a weapon is if, <coughs> and we have a way of doing it, is if we'll separate into, it's a four-man team, but we bust them up into two twos and they'll sit in different locations neck within eyesight of each other now if one of that two-man team thinks he sees a weapon he can't look at the other guy and go dude is that a weapon because then now you've just planted that in his ear and he's going yeah i think so so what we do is he's got to call across he goes do you see anything we don't even say weapon mm. to see if they see anything from a different angle. And uh, if it is a weapon, then yeah, then we draw down and tell them to drop the weapon. And that happened recently, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, about three weeks ago. And what happened with that? Uh, two guys were going uh, down this trail uh, out where I'm going now and pouring ass rain out there, but... <laughs> It is what it is. Yeah. Embrace the suck. <laughs> and it all sucks. But uh, they were going down this uh, trail, and they came up over a rise, and uh, basically the trail goes through a Buffalo Soldier Cemetery. And this is what, three miles from your house? Wow. It's a little bit farther. A little bit further? Okay. Yeah, I wanted to show you guys that. Wow, that's amazing. There's a cemetery. There's multiple cemeteries down there because Buffalo Soldiers used to be the Border Patrol before there was Border Patrol. Mm -hmm. And they're buried down there. Wow. The uh, 10th Cavalry. Wow. But, uh, so they were down in the cemetery, and they placed some flags, and then were following the trail. They came over a rise, and about 20 yards up in front of them, 
there was a guy who had no situational awareness because there's never any Border Patrol there. So he didn't need to be situated, or he didn't think he did. And he was standing on the trail with an SKS. So they raised their weapons and pointed at him and said, drop the weapon. And Mike, for those who don't know who, what an SKS is, can you just go over just a little bit as to what that weapon is? And Yeah, it's, just in a, it's actually a Chinese uh, variant of the AK-47. The only significant difference is uh, you'll see a 762 by 39 you'll see a lip on the magazine well, um, and and literally they, you can buy them for like 50 bucks. Uh, they, they are rudimentary firearms, but they're very capable as assault weapons. So, I mean, it's an AK-47 that's just a variant of it. And uh, so he turned and realized they had the drop at him, and he had two rifles pointing at him, so he did. He dropped the weapon, but he turned and beat feet about uh, three-quarters of a mile back to the line. Hmm. And, uh, what do you think that what was his task and purpose? Do you think he had a, a probe they, in? Or? Yeah, they're they're trying to see how far in they can get. I mean, we've seen them in uh, with long arms, probably with our own eyes. We've seen them in three and four miles, and uh, they're they're seeing how far and what they can actually control with firepower. So I guess last night we went into. Um, the watchtowers, right, of what the Border Patrol has that aren't being utilized anymore, um, and why, why, well, why aren't they being... They're, they're being utilized, but uh, what they did was they put them up in 2005 under uh, SBI, which is Secure Border Initiative, and that's when over by uh, Sasby they put in the about four miles of the media fence, mm -hmm. and then they put the towers in. The towers ran us about $90 million apiece, so... This year, they took those down and put up new ones because they had reached their life expectancy. So basically, for $90 million, we had them for 11 or so years, so it ran us about $8 million a year per tower. Hmm. And uh, like I showed you, you know, where that tower location was compared to that trail when they're running shitweed at a million and a half, it was three quarters of a kilometer away from the trail. And... They can't see the trail. So they they just, I don't know why somebody didn't go out there and go, well, wait a second, the hill in front of it's 100 feet higher. Why don't we put it there? We can see more. <coughs> or let's put it on the mountain where the freaking cartel have their scout locations and they won't want to be there because they can't get up there because we'll see them coming up. What you brought it up last night, actually, is that we actually have a, you know, a tower that actually has a camera system and it can geolocate things. Uh, on top of a mountain, but the cartel is a mountain yeah. higher. Yeah, so they're not even they're not even being seen. The cartel are eight hundred feet higher than the mountain next to it that they have a tower on. Hmm. What's the what's the if you if you could in a perfect world take the information you had? What what's the next step of this? What would be your objective? I mean, what would you like to see happen? Well, you know, the way I look at it is, look, we got PMCs in every conflict around this freaking globe. Why can't we have PBCs? Yeah, you talking about private military contractors who's significantly in every war. Vietnam, you know, since Vietnam, has been augmenting uh, the Department of Defense because they can't sustain it. And service support, uh, even even in the uh, uh, the task organization of the front line, it's always been augmented by by the private industry. Right. So why can't we bring in some private border contractors? And I mean, 
you know, a lot of the PMCs, they're in it for just huge dollars. And what we would like to do is, you know, get some funding from the government, but use that funding to help make Border Patrol more effective by, we'll sit out there for a week, two weeks at a time, you know, just like you did in the military. And we enjoy the shit out of that. We don't give a shit if we apprehend dope or people. We'll sit up there and just call yeah. it out. Just observation and communication right. will go and a long way. And then if an area is dead, it's like, hey, don't waste your time here. Move your manpower over here because this is where it's happening. Flood that area, knock them out. Then when they move again, you do the same thing. And so the way they run their um, bureaucracy is they have X amount of miles like Tucson. They cover 24.5 miles of border with 300 agents. They're split between three shifts. Right. So still you got the 100 guys that you can, but it's all mismanaged. Well, and, and you you know, you know brought the, the term up earlier, insurgency. Um, I mean, it, this isn't something that should be taken lightly. I mean, these cartel guys have the high ground and they have the territory. And Which, that, by definition, is... In a military sense, you've won half the battle. Exactly. Yeah. You occupy territory and you take the high ground, you've won half the war. Now it is, where do you draw that line? Well, that line, that front line, keeps moving. But it's not moving in our favor. It's moving in their favor. Mm -hmm. It's pushing farther and farther and farther north. Yeah, it's, what's interesting is if you look at the border, you know, it's that first order effect, but we're not dealing with it. So then the second and third order effects get diluted because the second and third order effects, which is drugs, crime, cartel, um, human smuggling, everything else that's happening is we're trying to deal with a symptom in Phoenix and we're trying to suppress drugs and deal with all this stuff instead of addressing the cancer right. we're dealing with the symptom when we should be on the border addressing uh, the significance of what's happening first order so we don't have to deal with the second and third well, that's, order that's government thought process oh, yeah. reactive instead of proactive mm -hmm. you know and that's where these cameras are you know because they know they don't have all the agents they need down here, so the cameras see them, and then they radio and say, hey, look, we got a group here. Well, then the agents come in, so they're reacting to what's already happened. And by doing that, you've already put yourself two hours behind a group or so. Do you not have a point of contact at they don't want to talk Tucson? Anymore. Are you serious? Yeah. I've tried intel. I've tried... I've talked to... Actually, the sector chief who's in charge of the whole Tucson city. Yeah, I know who you are. We'll get in touch. Yeah, in other words, it's like, fuck you very much. Thank you. Well, it's, that's insane. Like, the, the amount of information and intelligence that you could provide. They don't care. They're highly trained federal agents. Which it's mind-boggling because we have, I mean, uh, there is geotags of everything through this where if they just sent some manpower down here, they could significantly affect... Uh, the cartel's operation down there, and it's all it's all it's on Google Earth. Yeah, Intel it's drives just, operations. I mean, that's a, that's a that is literally a, a mantra in sure every this. operational sense. Well, and we are a licensed intelligence gathering organization that's, in or company in yeah. the state of Arizona. Now, do you pick up all like do they have a lot of like chatter on their on their radios? You pick up well, all that up. Well, there's uh, they're running a crude encryption. Oh, okay. It's, it's a voice inversion where it's basically a frequency, and within that frequency, there's a subset underneath. And uh, so when they speak, 
it comes out and then it oh, flips okay. in the air. So basically, it sounds like Martians uh, speaking Spanish. Oh, that's what you're saying. Yeah. You can tell they're there. See, but this piece you chop out. Yeah, we won't get into it. We can talk about it later, but okay. we won't. We won't talk right. about it. Uh, because I can, I can, I can have some audio files. I can show you what they sound like. Yeah. And uh, you can pick them up with a shit fifty dollar fucking scanner. You know, and that's how we started out. Mm. I mean, is it just one cartel, or is it multiple cartels that kind of use them? Well, what we're seeing now is, this is all pretty much Sinaloa, and it always has been. Well, when I first got down here, it was Beltran Levia also, Leva. And uh, the leaders of Beltran Leva were either captured or killed, and so then the Sinaloa told them, hey, you come with us, and we'll form just one big. Half of them did, the other half said, no, the reason these guys are captured or killed is because you fuckers ratted them out. Mm. So now they're battling it. And uh, what we're getting is the Jalisco cartel out of Texas. Mm. They're pushing uh, west. They're already in, uh, probably, in. they're in New Mexico and they're probably already into uh, eastern Arizona. And real soon, they're going to be clashing. And everyone, like after Chapo was uh, captured, Mm -hmm. We'd go down and sit on the line, and every night for three, four weeks, you could hear the three, four hour running gun battles because there was the part that was aligned with El Mayo, his lieutenant, and then the other part that was aligned with his kids. And so, even though they're the same cartel, they vie for that power. And what happens when they arrest one of those top dogs, just like in Iraq? Look, you pulled out the top dog, what happened? Power vacuum. Mm -hmm. And then the violence just shoots through the frickin' roof. You know, Sodom Hussein might have been a bad guy, but nobody made a fucking peep when he was in there. Yeah. Whereas, it's the same thing here. Chapo might have been a bad guy, but everything was... It's nobody insane. made a peep. But as soon as you pull that, it just goes ballistic. Everybody's shooting to climb that rank. And that, you know... More greed. The the uh, something that stood out to me last night in our conversation was uh, the fact that we have a reservation and it's on the border. And I, I don't know how many miles of that is on the border, but there's a res, which is uh, doesn't follow obviously uh, the same federal and state laws as far as uh, people coming through. And so there's border patrol, you said there, but there's a huge gap uh, on our border that is mismanaged. And there's a whole bunch of, um, I don't know how to put this, uh, corruption, allowing a lot of people to cross over into the res. And we have no eyes on it. I mean, I have buddies who were, you know, they were working as state patrol officers, uh, working with tribal uh, police and the things that happen on the res are completely uh, not kept out of the limelight or kept out of the media. And so what are the challenges that uh, we face in, in Arizona and specifically the United States with dealing with a, a porous border uh, like the one we deal with um, on our res? Uh, hold on, I'll get you an exact number on the border of how many miles of the border is... 60 miles. 
So wow. 60 miles of our 400 plus mile border. 398. So almost a third of our, uh, or fourth of our, our uh, border is Indian res. Right. What tribe is that? Well, there's multiple down there, but the one that's international cross border is the uh, Tano Odom and Autumn. But uh, next to them is the Papago. Next to them is the, so it's all the whole border between basically about 20 miles from us all the way over to uh, Lukeville. Completely all, open. Pretty much Resland, all the way over to Oregon Pipe National Monument. And how was that managed by Border Patrol on Indian Res? Um, not very. Uh, because, because they're obviously federally exempt from... Yeah, it's so all sovereign nation. So, and that's why you see all of our water drops. We don't have any over there because we can't go over there. Yeah. I mean, we can go over there, but you can't go over there armed. So what do you think's happening uh, on that side of the... Uh... the in the Tano Odom Res, they're being decimated. I mean, and the media will never talk about it. Uh, I've talked with the uh, VFW uh, native veterans uh, three times over there. I went over there and talked with them, and uh, they're averaging on the just the Tano Odom Res over 300 stolen vehicles a year recovered out of Phoenix and Tucson. And they steal them, bring them down, and they're trying to run dope loads or human loads, but that's what they recover. Nobody knows how many are not recovered because they made it through. And then the FBI keeps statistics on uh, missing persons of every ethnicity out there except for Native Americans. And the veterans over there that I've talked to said, our children are going missing all the time. The little girls, the little boys, and so they're being nabbed and taken off into sex trafficking. Uh, the young, the ones that are, you know, healthy enough and old enough, they'll get them to mule shit for them. And uh, so it's really an interesting place because when you go to the uh, capital of the res, you know, their main town, the way it's structured, they, as you're growing up, it it looks like it's, Futile, it's useless. You have the elementary school, you have the courthouse, and then you have the jail. So it's like, what's that telling these people? You know, where else in this country do you have an elementary school, a courthouse right next to it, and a jail right next to that? So where do you think that none of these, you know, that's 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 a obviously huge concern. You know, uh, why aren't these reports of these kids going missing actually being reported? What what? Well, they are being reported, but they're being hidden, and the uh, tribal members don't want to go before uh, media because if they're seen, you know, all the tribes now it's have casinos, and they get political. subsistence checks every month. Mm -hmm. So if they're going against, you know, making them look bad, kind of like me, I'm making them look bad, they don't talk to them. So, but in their case, if they make them look bad, guess what? You ain't getting no more casino money. So it's it's weird because when you look at it on a map, you got sixty miles of border that's completely open. That's basically a sovereign nation that's completely separate, exempt from federal and, and state laws, and then it opens up with more miles into the state of Arizona. So literally, it's like a it's almost yep. like a false border. 
and then everything that pours in, you'd never be able to identify because right. Border Patrol is not going to patrol the border of the res. They're just going to focus on the border itself. But like you said, the 300 vehicles, I mean, one thing I was thinking about last night driving here is all the vehicles we saw being towed or being uh, transported. And I was like, why are there so many vehicles being towed and transported to this one area on this one highway? I'm like, man, I wonder if these are ended up in Mexico, if they're just being transported. And you look at that res, and it's completely bordered, obviously, by Phoenix and nobody, or by uh, the rest of Arizona, and nobody's paying attention to that. Yeah. It's insane. Well, and land-wise, that res alone is the size of Connecticut. How far up does, what, to what's the closest large city at the very northern point of that res? The Casa Grande. Casa Grande. It, it probably goes up to within... Uh... Oh, my gosh. That's the border? No, that yeah, that's their border. Wow. And see, that's the I eight. Arizona City. That's the I eight right wow. there. Wow, literally right up to it. Yeah. So, there's groups over there. You know, there's militias over that way, and they'll run around in that area. And uh, but you see, you're just stuck into this little piece right here that you can actually do anything. You go over here with any type of weapon, and you'll be locked up because. White man can't go on that land with uh, weapons. Yeah, once they get on that highway, that's it. Yeah, that's it. They've disappeared. You've yeah. got your route to yep. San Diego, Los Angeles, whatever. Or, but uh, is that top portion? Is that uh, I eight portion Pinal County? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, we just talked. So we. Uh, if you guys don't this, know. This is all Pinal over here. This sheriff uh, Mark Lamb is a friend of ours, and we we talked to Sheriff Mark Lamb last night. And he was saying there's there's a significant uptick in traffic, um, and you know he he says that a lot of it's seasonal for him, um, but talking to him, talking to guys from Maricopa, and talking to uh, a couple of narcotic officers that we know in Prescott, the ju the drug game is shifting. It used to be all marijuana and dope, but since they legalized it, all the fentanyl, all the uh, opiates, and cocaine is making a return. Yeah. And so what that just means is death, destruction, more crime, more violence, because everything associated with those hardcore drugs completely changes our demographic. And the reason, I mean, if you look at it, they, we got the war on drugs. How long has that been going on? Since the 80s. Right. Yeah. So you've been going for 40 years on this. Yeah. So now we have, what's the other war on? Terrorism. Right. Yeah. How long is that going to go on for? So when the government takes that phrase and puts it into some catchy, awesome war on drugs, all that means is there's no objective, there's no end game, and there's, there's no bunch of plan, money. Yeah. let's throw as much money to make our friends as rich as fucking possible for as long as possible until the taxpayers go, oh, wait a second, how much money did we spend on that so far? And you haven't done shit? Because they've created this with the war on drugs, you know, by making it taboo. Everybody's going to want to go, well, you know what, I'm not supposed to do that. So it's just kind of like you're not supposed to shoot the signs out in the National Forest. But you go by every sign out in the National Forest, everyone's, every one of them shot up. So everybody wants to try what they're not supposed to try. Just to say, I did it. So... They created this whole entire class of people that they could lock up 
and then charge them with felonies. So that takes away your gun rights. That takes away your voting rights. That's a section of people they don't really have to worry about anymore. And at the same time, they're making money hand over fist with the private prison industry instead of, look, it would cost us a lot less if we opened up these massive rehab facilities and get people in there. Most people will turn into addicts and everything because they're the despair. Yeah. Poverty, you know? Yeah. yeah. And what's helping increase that is tens of thousands every freaking month coming across the border which are taking the jobs and driving the wages down and so you get more and more citizens that are becoming desperate and despair and so they do something to alter their mind to say fuck it what am I going to do when they give up but that's okay with the politicians because we're replacing them with people who vote for us mm-hmm. you know it's it's a weird freaking game they play oh yeah well, the ramifications we, we were seeing it and it's yeah. just it only gets worse it only crumbles well it's because if it doesn't I mean the truth of the matter in this society today if it doesn't affect you they're not going to care right? right until it affects them then they're going or to or they care. feel it's directly affecting exactly them. yeah but you see we've lost in this country our sense of community we're not communities anymore when I was a kid and I went outside you know and you did something stupid up and down the block that lady come out the door I'm going to tell your mom and it's like, you knew everybody up and down the damn block. Now, you go into a city, you don't even know who lives next door because you're into this, oh, I gotta go, I gotta get in my car, I gotta, work, I gotta do my miserable two-hour commute to work to a suck-ass job and then do my miserable two-hour commute back and then channel surf for four hours and wait, I didn't hear about that on the news, so it must not be happening. And it's, they're, they're keeping people in the blind. Yeah, that's what Sebastian Junger actually talked on was, you know, the most, mis- you know, the most sad and drugged societies and lonely societies are those big cities, those suburbs, those yeah. American dream areas. <coughs> and, you know, you live in a, a, a 30 floor high rise yeah. uh, full of, you know, tons of people. But you don't know. Uh, you don't know your neighbor. No. Yeah. And, you know, whenever I move somewhere, I knock on doors after I finish loading all the shit up. Hey, I just moved in next door. And I do it when I'm in the city. I say hello or howdy to everybody. And they're like, whoa. Why do you say that to me? What does he want? Yeah. He wants something from me if he's he's being nice. Yeah. Or divorced from reality for sure. You know, and I've found that most people are comfortable in their misery because they know what to expect day in and day out. They're afraid of change because change is the unknown. You know, and everybody's going, well, you know, when I started doing this, well, who do you know? What do you know? I said, I don't know, fuck this whole, I'm going, I'm doing it. I'm not afraid and I'm miserable because I lost everything and I had to sell everything. So I was going, change is good. And I also see that majority of the population will not get up and do anything until they see somebody else doing it. Because they're in that mindset of, well, you know, I'm only one man. What can I do? It's like, well, yeah, I was one guy that started nine years ago. One turned into two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16, 16, 32, 64, 128, and it just kept going and going and going. I mean, if I kept my application process open, I had to close it. I was just getting hammered. I could be well over a thousand people that'll do this for free. 
because they didn't know they could do it because nobody was telling them it's okay. Well, speaking on that, Timmy, you know, we talked last night, um, and I was really happy to hear that you had gotten approved for your 501c3. And there's a big tie-in here with um, a 501c3, <coughs> a nonprofit, uh, and supporting the men who come to you uh, who've lost purpose, who want to be better. You know, they're afflicted with PTSD, they have uh, troublesome life, lives, and they come here and they find, you know, a sanctuary. Yeah. How has that developed, and then how did you get to the point where you decided you're going to start a nonprofit? Well, we've been looking at it for the past three or so years, you know, and what held us back was pretty much that I don't understand legalese. You know, and when you try to apply for something with the IRS, you dot one T wrong or I wrong and cross one T wrong. They go, oh, thank you. Thanks for the money, but no thanks. So basically it was taking time to network with people. And I had a guy came out for two days after he had uh, done his application, background check, and then notarized our ROEs and SOPs. And he came out and... Uh, he was only there for two days, and he talked to me, and he goes, you know what, I just had to come out to make sure that this was legit, you guys are doing it right, and he goes, I only got one question for you, and I said, well, what's that? He goes, why don't you have a 501? And I said, well, because I've been concentrating all my time on where the scouts are, where the water drops are, what times they're moving, how they're moving, what they're moving, and figuring out that end of the game. And uh, he goes, well, if you don't mind, I'll do the paperwork for you. And I'll pay all the fees and everything. So I said, sure, you got my blessing. And so we just got it the uh, day after Thanksgiving. We got approval. But what was we wanted to do, because uh, I had guys that were coming in that were uh, half my age. You know, I'm pushing 60. And I've got guys that are, you know, 30, mid-30s and shit like you guys and you know they they got four five six fucking tours and uh so you know when you get out of the military they basically kick your ass to the curb and if you got ptsd or something you end up going to the va and they hand you a bag full of pills and go here you go have a good one and so my uh some of the guys who started coming out were coming to me and go, you know what, I've never told you, but I was in a very bad spot when I came here just to see if this was something I was looking for or something that could help. And uh, you met one of them last night, Randy, mm -hmm. and uh, he's got, I don't know, five tours or so. And he came up to me and goes, dude, you saved my life. He said, I was in a bad, bad spot. I was about to become one of those 22 a day but he said when I found this it was what I was looking for it's what I knew it's what I did it's what I lived and breathed for years upon years you know it's different than being in combat because we're not in combat but it's still the same thing because we're made up primarily of 90% uh, veterans and law enforcement so there's a brotherhood yeah it's that camaraderie yep. that you miss and even though you know it does I mean it's pouring rain but he's out there with another guy, and I'm going to go meet up with them, and it's probably going to rain, and now it's lightning. But it sucks ass, but it's something that you miss. It's and they have that, a purpose. Yeah. 
you know, when they kicked them to the curb, it's just like, okay, what do I do now? We'll go get a job at McDonald's or something. It's like, well, McDonald's is not going to cut it. So now he finds that he got off all the meds that the VA was giving him. He comes down, he'll hang out for a week or so with me, and we're in the mountains, sitting on a mountaintop or humping trails, looking for sign and things like that. And then you can watch him just unwind. Mm -hmm. All the stress and all the anxiety and all the... It just starts going away. And then when we do the big ops and I get, you know, 15, 20 guys in there, now I've got multiple... And they sit and they bond and they now they keep in contact with each other around the freaking country even when they're not here. And these are people who are from every state. Uh, yep. They come and the truth is... With your 501c3 now starting, one, what is the entire name of your 501c3? And then what's the actual purpose? Where would you like to see it grow to? Or The 501 is called the AZBR Vets Incorporated. Uh, what we, by seeing these guys coming to me and ask, telling me, you know, thanks, we realize that even though we're doing something good on the border, that we can do even more good. So what we would like to try to achieve is buying more land. Based upon the thought process of occupying territory, you start winning the battle. Mm -hmm. And I know I get so many emails from veterans going, dude, your application is closed, I want to come out, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wait, now I'm dealing with this. So hopefully within about two months we can have it open again. But we want to start purchasing land and then start allowing them to come in and then while we're building up the infrastructure on that land if they have a screwed up job skill or something you know I've got 35 years in construction mm -hmm. I can teach them how to do set up solar I can teach them how to do framing or concrete work or whatever and they can go out and get a decent paying job not only here protecting finding a purpose with protecting this country and our border but also finding a trade where they can bring it back with them to the real world right. and have the ability to work and pay their bills and have a structured life. You know, I think a lot of that, especially trades, is, is, is going pretty quick out of society these days. And the truth of the matter is, they're the jobs we most need. And they're the yeah. jobs that actually Well, and it's really the job well. that most uh, illegals are taking. And so by doing that, they can bond with guys while they're building something yep. together. And then they can take it back and start a different career or a different job if they want. And then they're also always welcome back down for that brotherhood of embracing the suck, sitting on a mountaintop, watching and calling stuff in and, you know, giving them back a purpose. So at this point in time, what would you say is your top three in terms of priority with your 501 starting right now? Uh, what would be your top three in terms of what you would like to ha see accomplish or go after um, so we can also let you know all of our viewers know what your mission statement is as of right now? Well, it would be, got to be money for funding. Yep. I mean, not money for funding, but money for land. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's lots of land out here for sale. And, uh, you know, we also, not just occupying land against the uh, cartel to stop that, but we got a lot of liberals in this area that are dropping water. And if we start buying land and we can start 
pushing them out. Because I guarantee you that if you can get them to stop dropping the water, 85% of what's happening in this area will stop. Yeah, and for those who are just on our live right now, you're going to hear it on the podcast and see it on the video. But basically what's happening is um, you see all these recon points uh, for the cartels, and then you also see the humanitarians who are American citizens out here uh, providing gallons of water uh, to these cartels. And the recon points are next to the water points. And the truth of the matter is, and Tim attested to this, uh, you know, Tim attested to this on the podcast. Um, these aren't the women and children. Doesn't see any. He's seen one female, and she was drug running. The rest are middle-aged men. Eighty-five percent of them are running drugs, and we're not talking weed. We're talking heavy drugs: fentanyl, cocaine, heroin. Um, and that's the truth. Um, you won't see that day to day. So, buying up land is is taking it back from the cartels. And then also pushing out people who think they're helping right. women and children when the reality is they're not. They're only funneling the cartels and the, dr and the drug running. And these guys are not innocent. They're carrying around AK-47s, SKSs, AR-15s with variable optics. Um, and they're decked out, chest rigs. They're not, they're not nice guys. No. Or they're, they're transporting even worse guys. Yep. Um, so listen to the podcast Take a gander at the YouTube video we'll be putting up so you can get all the details. And even you're going to see the map of, you know, geotag location of where the water points are, the recon points are, where the Border Patrol towers are, which is even more eye-opening because they could be right next to each other. Yeah. I mean, so land is a major thing because, you know, I've been, like I said, I'm heading into my ninth year. In uh, nine years, I've put 200000 of my own money mm. into this. Uh, radios, laptops, freaking land, uh, you know, I'm driving a two-wheel drive truck with 360,000 miles, and I cart a lot of the guys out there in the mountains with that, and uh, there's a lot of things we need, but once we get this up and running, see, we have, we're not going to stop there with just land and bringing in veterans and mm -hmm. they don't even have to go out with us they can come down and just hang out on the property to get out of the damn city if they want but what we realize is and i know because i've got a rescue dog and he helps me a lot you know because i'm out here by myself and i didn't have my dog to talk to or hang out with my little hamster wheel would be spinning mm -hmm. so we also would like to you know try to start a animal rescue and see if we can get some of the guys to teach them to be service dogs so that we can start pushing the service dogs to other veterans around the country or the guys that are here bond with the dog, they can take the dog. Which is actually one of the, a big thing right great now. Great therapy. Amazing I mean, therapy. The animals are great therapy. I mean, unconditional love and always happy to be around you. I mean, look at my dog. Hey, somebody's here. But... Uh, you know, we we can do more. We have to quit relying upon the government. It's up to us to take care of our own. It's very tribal. And, you know, people are going, well, you're doing a 501, you're going to make all kinds of money. And it's like, that's not the way I operate. I mean, look, I've sunk 200 grand of my own money into it, and I'm not making a dime off this shit. I just want to do more because... <coughs> When I'm lying on my deathbed, what do I want to be able to look back on? 
that I just worked nine to five every damn day of the week and I paid my taxes and if I was lucky and saved enough money I can go sit on a beach for two weeks out of the year and take pictures and it's like gee there was me in a hammock on a beach some fucking where I can't even remember or do I want to be able to lay there and go you know what I tried I tried to make it a better place I tried to help as many people as possible I tried to do good what is more important and to me it is trying, you know, not being just your regular, I mean, there's plenty of people that'll do the other part, the vacations and the, you know, I, I, I don't know, I mean, it's, once I got here, it's in me, and it's never going to go away, it's something that's in my heart, something that's in my soul, Something that I believe in. So I'll be here until the day I die. Regardless if, you know, everything expands or not. I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to watch the border. My guys are still going to be here. They're still going to do what they do. So for those who are, are, you know, obviously listening to this, what what's the best means? I mean, obviously the, the one thing that you do need is, is not just support, but also uh, assistance with helping to grow this place. So for those who want to help, uh, what what is a way that they can either help donate or provide their support or contacts or what have you? What's the best way for them to do so? Well, right now we're building the website okay. and uh, my guy says he should have it up within a week, but uh, what is today? We're, I would say probably by the 15th we'll have it up and running. So they can go check it out at uh, azbrvets.com uh, and or we might change it to .org since we're mm -hmm. uh, non-profit. And we'll make sure we post all that stuff on social media and um, we'll put out the word. I'm super interested in, um, in helping Tim in the mission because, you know, not only are we advocates for vets, um, but we're advocates for the right thing and you know this is the right situation the right thing to support and get behind um, when you look at all the things that are going on in our world uh, protecting our children and protecting um, our values is probably the most important thing that we should concentrate our efforts on so uh, we'll make sure we distribute all that and then we'll make sure we come back and, and check the status and uh, continue to update people on what's going on this video uh, will be available uh, the video that we're shooting for that we shot with the podcast, it cut short because uh, there's not enough memory life in it. Um, but we will be posting this with uh, the release of the um, the Overland uh, Border Run uh, that will continue to educate you on the process. In fact, right after this, I'm going to go live on my own personal Instagram just to uh, communicate to people because it's important to relay the message. Well, you got to come down when we do one of our ops and all my veterans are in here and yeah. sit and talk with them Yeah, on why they come out why they like doing this and these guys you know I mean they're not making a lot of money but they all have to spend their own money to get here like the guy you met Ryan he spent just 500 bucks in gas just to get here so they take time out of their lives to come here to do it they take time out of their or money out of their bank accounts to do it because we took an oath. The oath doesn't end. You know, just because you get out, you might be a PFC, but 
you still took the oath, and that's till you die. And uh, yeah, you got to come back down and sit and talk with the guys out in the mountains. We'll definitely do that. Hey, Tim, thanks for being on the podcast again. Thanks for spreading the word. Always, man. We'll yeah. always be here. Thanks, George. Thank you. Very eye-opening. Seeing Thank like everything on the map, that really cleared everything up. Because you, I watched you know cartel land and see everything, but seeing all the intel you collected, it's a lot of work, and that's awesome. Did you should see the amount of trails. Yeah, I remember I you talking yeah. about um, they left the cache with only with water, but you talked about how many pairs of socks. Oh yeah, you would take, and it just kind of was like, wow, that's. Well, it's winter time. It's sock season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Travis, for being on <clears> the <throat> podcast and. Uh, if you guys are just tuning into this, um, you guys can check out his, uh, Tim's links. It's azbrvets.org um, or .com, and we'll put up the links for the, the most updated version of the link. Also, you guys can check us out at fullcrosssurvival.com. Uh, I'm going to go live on uh, mike.a.glover um, real soon and then archive that video on Facebook so you guys can see it. Um, yeah, until next time, guys, uh, we'll continue to update you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next Thank time. You.